Hey, Claire, want to talk about sexy books today? Yeah, I do, Blythe. Awesome. <laughs> when you need a sexy escape from a world that's gone insane, erotic fiction with romantic diction, we've got some wrecks if you care to listen. We all have an inch to scratch between our mind and thighs. So I have, like, way too much hair at this point. Oh, I'm pretty jealous, but I do think my hair is growing better than it was before. I'm taking way more vitamins in general. <sighs> Me too. Really? <laughs> what well, you know, do you take? I've been having, like, all of these period problems. Mm-hmm. I, like, had my period for a really long time, and now I'm getting it every mm-hmm. other week. Fuck. I know. It's really shitty because, like, I before I went on birth control, I would get it every two weeks, which was obviously a problem. Now it's even worse. And I just think that I'm, like, too stressed out lately. But I've been, like, really upping my vitamins. (laughs) I take I take ritual vitamins, which I think you take. Oh, me too. Yeah. Just the regular ritual. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I take those, and then I take ashwagandha I also take, which is an herb technically, I guess. I take ashwagandha. For, like, stress. Yes. (laughs) And then I take iron a lot, because I'm obviously losing a lot of blood. (laughs) Yeah. After I went off birth control, I didn't get my period for, like, a year, and then... I balanced it out pretty well, I guess, and things were going fine for, like, several years, but this year has been, like, a shit show, so... (laughs) Right. Well, it's been an emotional journey for everyone. Yeah, so things have just obviously been really out of whack for me. It's so annoying. It's super annoying. Yeah. Well, let's talk about less annoying things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, one of the least annoying things I can think about is Francesca Leah Block and how important she's been in my life. And I know that, like, when I was young, my mom's MO was to give me books, um... She would just like put books on my bed and we would never talk about them. And my mom I would, would do that too. Oh, I think that's like a great strategy because it's, I, I mean, agree. if you have the disposable means, of course. It like shows you that they're open to talk, but that it doesn't force you to talk to them about things, yeah. I think. That is how it exactly came across with my mom and I that I felt like, oh, well, she gave this to me and... So I can ask her questions about it. But for the most part, I don't think I did. I think I just, like, ate it up. Me too. And <laughs> I, you and me were not super close in middle school when I think we were both reading these with a vengeance. Is that right? Yeah, I agree. I yeah. Think. I feel like it was kind of a solo um, adventure for me when I first discovered FLB. And it was only later in in late high school and college when I would maybe offhandedly talk about her and then some other women would be like, oh my God, Francesca Leah Block. 
And it was this immediate connection with other women. Like, I feel like you could almost tell who was raised on Francesca Leoblock and who wasn't. (laughs) I can't even, like, honestly describe how instrumental she has been in my development, like, as a person and as a writer. Yeah. She's been, like, everything to me. She's probably one of my... She definitely is one of my absolute biggest influences on my writing, like, in my entire life. And probably, like, the main reason I wanted to move to California my whole life. Yeah. Which I've done now, and it's as amazing as I thought it would be. We've both done (laughs) it now, and she described it perfectly. We were in no way misled. I know. Los Angeles, (laughs) specifically. It is a magical, magical place. And she conveys that with her writing just like better than anybody in the world, I think. Yeah, she just makes things appealing without making them unattainable. Like what you need to be a Francesca Leah Block girl is to be creative and artistic and see beauty where maybe other people don't see beauty. It's not like some Mm -hmm. sort of specific brand you need to buy or anything, but just like, and it's all, I feel like she even kind of revels in like, like tackiness, like it's all like ghost world or like pretty in pink like it's someone who can take something that everyone else thinks is trash and turn it into something that's treasure absolutely because like her whole thing is very like hollywood and cinema focused kind of and so much of that is artifice but she makes it not seem like it's a bad sort of artifice it's like this beautiful you can be whatever kind of person you want to be kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Like, like she would make a flamingo, like plastic flamingos in your yard be awesome. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. I just think she had her aesthetic is this great mix of like tacky, kitschy, but also just like natural and beautiful. And it's like combined, like a naturalness and an unnaturalness combined. I just. I love it. <laughs> I agree. And doesn't that, it just does embody Los Angeles. Like, it does. there is so much fakeness, but there is so much genuine beauty within that. And she just knows all of it. Like, she talks about the valley and, and Venice Beach and the canyons and, and all of the beautiful uh, plant life that exists the here. The Hakaronda trees. My whole life, I wanted to move to California and see the Hakaronda trees. Oh and now God. there's one like outside my window. I oh, love it. And every May, aren't you just like, oh, it's May. Just like amazing Hakarandas. In this book, she talks so much about the wisteria vines. And I just thought about that like constantly, like a beautiful big house covered in overrun by wisteria. Yes. Just like s- sounds so magical to me. I love the pictures that she paints. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is, like, so amazing about her is that she does have this unbelievable, like, poetic way of writing, but it's also super approachable. Like, I remember as a kid picking up her books, and I remember they had, like, some sort of award for reluctant readers. That's what it was. Like, they said that these were great books for reluctant readers which I think is totally true because 
I just don't know how she does it because most people, even myself, like I write, I think I write very poetically, but it's not always as approachable. Mm-hmm. Whereas hers is, again, it's like the way that she mixes tacky and beautiful together. It's just like she has this like, I'm like just rambling on because I love her so much, but she just hits this like perfect point for so many people, I think. I agree. I think that it is kind of an ephemeral quality because I feel the same. You and I both approach, approach like poetry is so much more accessible to you than it is for me. Like your poetry has been accessible to me, I think, because I know you maybe or maybe just because of how powerfully I feel a lot of the same feelings that you do but in general I am not drawn to poetry at all and I find it really hard I just it's hard for me to go into any sort of writing not feeling like the writing itself is going to be an obstacle um, rather than the idea which I'm more comfortable with but And I think that it was only, but I think you're exactly right. Like because of Francesca Leobach, I feel more open to poetry because what I get from her and what I think is the intent of poetry is not to confuse you, but to paint a picture that you don't necessarily need to understand the meaning of the words for those words to give you a feeling. And I feel like she really gives that, even though you do understand the meaning of the words, but she just like imbibes it with that feeling that gives it that poetic quality as well, that I feel like I wouldn't like poetry nearly as much if I didn't read Francesca Lea Block. I think that I would, it would be even more disconnected from me. Yeah, I can just think of so many examples of her work, like, just, like, spurring this feeling in me that I had never had before reading her books. Like, I'm trying to think, like, um, you know the book I Was a Teenage Fairy? That was a major (laughs) book in my childhood, yes. Same, 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 same. (sighs) Um, But there's this one part where she describes... LA I think and then she describes like I can't remember it's a different part of LA maybe it's like the valley I'm not sure but she's like if LA is this woman and then she describes LA as a woman and then she's like the valley is her like bubblegum popping little sister and then she like describes the valley as a little sister and it's like so idiosyncratic and just like fucking perfect like I just love it And I feel like that's, like, shit like that is, like, why I wanted to become a writer and a poet, like, because it's just so, it gives you a feeling that just describing the place wouldn't. She's just amazing. (laughs) She is so amazing. And I feel like when you, I moved to Los Angeles, you already hit on this, but I'm just going to hit it over the head again. When I moved to Los Angeles, I was like, I am going to become a Francesca Leah Block girl. And I like go into thrift stores specifically like, oh yes, 
this is a top that would belong in a fresh Francesca Lea block book. Like I literally approach aesthetics thinking like FLB is the self FLB for me. And it doesn't even like matter if, if FLB herself would agree or not, but just like, it's a, a whole feeling. And, well, then and I you think were she would here, agree because, I think she would because I think it's whatever makes you feel that feeling. I yeah. think she would agree. Also, I just want to point out, I just want to mention that we've had this idea for a Francesca Leah block party for a really long time, and I still hope that we can make that happen someday. (laughs) Yes, well, it seems more remote now in our current conditions, but I agree. Block parties will come before indoor parties. (laughs) Yeah, true, true. (laughs) But I... Yeah, I completely agree. And I feel like, well, actually, I want to ask you, besides I Was a Teenage Fairy, are there any other FLB books that you want to uh, do a shout out for from your childhood? <sighs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, Wheatsy Bat is like the quintessential is, yeah, FLB exactly. book, I think. That was like the thing that actually... I'm not even sure if that was the first book. I think it was the first book of hers that I ever read. And I loved it. And then I read all of the ones that, like, that's sort of a series kind. Like, it has other books. Witch Um, Baby. Witch Baby was, like, one of my absolute favorites ever. Because she's so concerned about global warming. And I really related to that. Yeah. Um, But also Echo is probably my favorite, Francesca. Well, Echo or The Hanged Man. Those are my two favorites. I think The Hanged Man might have been my first Francesca Leah Black book. And it was probably one of the darkest books I had ever read at that time. It definitely feels a little darker. It's on the darker end of her books anyway, which are always like towing the line of of darkness. Um so I was a teenage fairy was a huge part of my life and so was Violet and Claire. Probably equally those oh, yeah. two for me. And then Wheatsy Bat, I definitely zoomed through all the Wheatsy Bat. My mom bought them for me individually, which I loved because I got to see all the different covers, yes. which aren't the same. They don't look quite like classic Francesca Lea Block covers to me. They, they have like a different, more animated design. Um, and then my mom mistakenly also bought me Dark Angels with Dark Angel, I think, which is the entire Weetsy Bat collection. Oh, nice. So she just thought it was a different book, but I was happy about it because I was like, oh, perfect. I think maybe I had been missing a book anyway. So it was kind of nice to have it all together. Um, but Hanged Man. And then, um, you know this, but a little later, well, definitely want to shout out Rose and the Beast, which is just a really fun um, retelling of fairy tales by Francesca Leah Block. To me, like the, yeah, the only Beauty and the Beast story now. Um, I think there's other fairy tales in it, but that's the one that really stands out. Um, but I think that you already know that the one that re- that that I read more often to this day than any other FLB book is Wasteland, which yes. is I love Wasteland. All I think that I've read like almost every book she's ever written, and I can't think of one that I didn't like. But I also yeah. really loved Wasteland. <laughs> Wasteland. Oh, I really and. 
we I actually reread Wasteland um, in preparation for this because I thought that maybe it would count as a romance novel because in my mind I remembered using it as a romance novel so often <laughs> by which I mean as masturbation fodder oh, um, same, and same. <laughs> And it turns out that that there actually isn't a lot of explicit um, anything in Wasteland. I had just filled in a lot of blanks with the explicit stuff. But um, that one is more about uh, incest, sort of, which I, I think this is very popular or... It's more known that it's popular, but incest stories in general are very popular, like brother, sister. I think um, for millennials in particular, it's like one of the most popular kinds of porn, honestly. It's definitely one that I've turned to many times, and the porn that I've felt the most shame about because I was the most like distraught about I have a brother and two sisters and I was like I've never (laughs) wanted to have sex with them before for Um, sure for sure (laughs) I mean I've definitely had like the same I've definitely had like fantasies about that before and it definitely does not involve anyone in my actual family yeah but it's (laughs) tough I mean that's kind of the only scenario that really it does resonate with me about something that I really like that has felt really taboo and that I didn't want to share because I didn't know how people would feel about it and now I definitely feel like I get it more like to me it's it's that if you want to pursue a relationship with your sibling like you first of all know them deeply like you're not having this surface level connection with them you know them like fully and also so and and also you want them so badly that you're willing to violate what is one of our top taboos in culture which is incest so um I think that that's what really gets me excited is or especially when I would read about it when I was younger is that I didn't need as much build up because when you know their brother and sister the history is already there you don't have to read about it just exactly I think that like reading romance novels has shown me so and we've talked about this before that it's just like the context means so much yeah to this this sexual situation and I think you've said before like incest is just like an immediate context that you can understand and feel and you get why it's super taboo and taboo things are often really hot. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's just a fantasy. Like, I just want more people in general not to be scared of their fantasies. Because it doesn't mean you're going to go out and fuck your brother tomorrow. <laughs> like, exactly. If it doesn't mean anything about you. If there's anything we could transmit through this podcast, that would be... A number one desire for me is that, yeah, it doesn't like there is honestly a difference between fantasizing about even hurting someone and doing it. There is a huge chasm and right up until the point that you do it, you're fine. Like it's not a problem up until the point that you actually hurt someone. It's not a problem. And like any sexual situation where both parties are consenting and happy and they're in on the role play or whatever you're doing, like is 
fine. There's just, I don't think there's anything wrong with acting out taboo fantasies with somebody else who wants to do it with you. I totally agree. I will say, and I I honestly am, maybe this is going to be a little more controversial, but if someone literally came up to me and said like, me and my sibling are in a sexual relationship, I think that I personally wouldn't be upset by it, even if that was in real life. Cause like, you know, people want what they want and I'm okay with that. I would have a problem if in real life it was like something with a different power dynamic. That's what I was going to say. Like the only problem is when somebody is manipulating somebody else or being like coercive. Exactly. Like I feel the opposite of turned on when I think of like a father and a daughter or something that like is very upsetting to me. Yeah. But if I, even if I think of like a literal brother and sister, I'm like, well, sure. Let's see how it goes. (laughs) Twins. Like there's no power dynamic there, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for me at least, or the power dynamic isn't egregious the way that it is with like a a parental figure. Well, and when you're fantasizing about it, it's whatever's in your head. I mean, you could make a really fucked up power dynamic in your head and it's still fine. Totally. Exactly. That's the thing that we want to hit on the head is whatever is in your mind that gets you off. That's fine. As long as you're not like worried about it, acting on anything that hurts another person. Exactly. 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 And actually, that's like a thing. I mean, not that we should go into like a rabbit hole about incest, but (laughs) there is a whole thing about people who are like separated from their parent. And then when they like in if they meet their parent in adult life for the first time, then they like are attracted to their parent because of like anyway, I won't go too deep into that. The same. You don't have the same context anymore. Exactly. It's not like they were in charge of you before and now they still are wielding that well and that's one thing that like I think we'll get into more as this podcast goes on we'll probably be reading at least some books where like the situation isn't completely on the up and up it might not be completely consensual the power dynamics might be fucked up but like it is a book and it's not real it's not dangerous it's just it's just a story and you can read it and you can get off on it and that's fine. <laughs> exactly. I'm actually a little excited for when we get to that point. I'm excited about everything to do with this podcast though cuz it's inherently exciting. <laughs> I agree. I'm very stoked to like get into just all kinds of shit here. <laughs> I agree. Well, I mean, should we get into this actual book, Nymph, that we're talking about? Do you have a, a sure. summary, if you could even summarize this book? <laughs> um, I'm going to look up the summary on Goodreads. Because there's a this is a book of short stories that are all in- yeah. interconnected, kind of. Yeah. Um, and... I feel like it's important, maybe we haven't been clear about this already, but Francesca Leo Block, for the most part, doesn't write specifically romance novels. I mean, I would mm-hmm. say that there's always a heavy sexual com- component in her books, if not always, then most of the time, but it usually isn't explicit the way that 
the romance novels we cover in this podcast are. And this book, Nymph, that we're covering is much more explicit than her normal books. It's intended to be more of a romance novel, which is so exciting. Like, what a miracle. Thank you, Francesca, for just continuing to be here for me, for all of my needs as I grow. I I just couldn't be more grateful. (laughs) I agree, because I remember reading her short stories, like, as a kid and finding them extremely sexy, even though they would just be, like, sex was mentioned or, like, hinted at or something. So it's really nice that she just wrote some books for the adult versions of us. (laughs) I mean, I honestly remember masturbating to thinking about a fairy trying to, I think, jack someone off. I don't even know because it wasn't like super explicit, but just it was enough to know like fairies touching dicks and I loved it. Well, I masturbated for sure to like, so many of her characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of their names because they all have like really unique names, but I know in Echo there was one guy named Smoke who was like highly featured in my fantasies. Nice. That's such a bitchin name. <laughs> I know. I'm going to bring and that up to my like, husband in a minute. <laughs> he had this like raspy, sexy, smoky <sighs> voice. He was like a singer. Oh my god, me too. I mean, it's really crazy actually to talk about it now and realize what an insane influence she has had on our lives, like, and almost constantly. And it isn't just us, like, I definitely have had, like, my roommate Karina, I'll shout out, like, I remember us like finally realizing that we were both into FLB and being like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like you can just tell. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. You're just like, are you a Weetzy back girl? Yeah. Because you seem like it. (laughs) And that's like the greatest compliment you can give. (laughs) For sure. All right. Should I read the description? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. So this is for Nymph. As in her other works, Block weaves together themes of subtle magic, youthful hopes, modern urban decay, and deep emotion told with lyrical storybook language. That's a great way to describe her writing. Totally. Yeah. The stories in Nymph bear all the hallmarks of classic Francesca Lea Block, punk-spirited characters who celebrate love, life, and art. With one important difference, this time the author carries her vision through the full range of emotion and erotic interaction that her mature audience appreciates. An interconnected series of stories, Nymph is a special journey through the lives and loves of characters like Plum, a crayon-haired girl who has a gift. If she makes love with a person, that person will then meet their true love. Or Tom, a burned-out surfer whose luck changes when he is rescued by a mysterious wheelchair-bound woman. Or Sylvie, a chronically depressed poet who finds beauty in unexpected places. Block's erotic explorations of these smoky, kaleidoscopic fables are anything but conventional. These are stories of love, loss, and life, about the healing power of sex and bonding. That really, like, sums it up well, because... All I could think about while reading this book was literally like how healing every story was and that characters were healed through sex. And I just thought that was like so beautiful. I loved it. I'm only having that 
that moment now like yes that was the through line of all of these stories was people being healed from what they had already experienced which we've talked about as an essential part of romance novel in general that people are usually in a romance novel at the point where they're ready to overcome their trauma that they've already yeah. experienced. They're not, it's not the moment where they're experiencing the trauma, which is so nice. But yeah, this was such a healing book right from the beginning. It was so Francesca Leah Block with Tom, as was in your description, and Mur, the girl who. Yes is a mermaid as far as I can tell. <laughs> I was fully convinced she was a mermaid. <laughs> fully convinced. And they kind of even like go into explicitly like they're not able to have penetrative sex. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that people just speculate about the sex that they're having. But this guy Tom was a former surfer and he just wasn't able to go back into the water but was still going to the beach every day. And then in the rain he finds this breathtaking beautiful woman um in a wheelchair but you can you barely even register that she's in a wheelchair except like they they say that she's got like this silvery cloth that's like wrapped tightly around her legs but she just is like so sexually open she just like immediately takes her top off and and she's just the most breathtaking person and then tom is able to experience surfing from then on and she just watches him at the beach and and they kind of talk about having a past of maybe she rescued him when he was drowning in the water many years ago and then like came out of the water to be with him and then i think they like just they they die together in her house maybe in his wisteria covered house Mm -hmm. i feel like she never goes back to the water regardless and it was like oh yes this is so flb just like there's this element of of supernatural but it it's so heavily grounded in the natural of venice california beach life that it's like who knows what it actually is but it's so easy to just submit to like it's a fucking mermaid yeah (laughs) i completely agree and yes i loved oh i loved all the stuff about venice that's like venice beach is one of my favorite places and a lot of people, like most people that I've had visit me are were not as into Venice Beach as I was. And I just feel like it's a litmus test for me to know if like we're going to click 100 percent or not. Because I'm like, I fucking love Venice Beach. <laughs> I agree. Other people well, are like, it's, I... it's crusty and like gross. And I'm like, no, it's magical. Have you not read Francesca Leah Block? <laughs> I'm actually wearing a Venice Beach shirt right now. <laughs> Nice. I've gotten like my best shirts at Venice Beach. (laughs) I've certainly got my best cuts at Venice Beach. I've gotten so much art from Venice Beach. A lot of the cards that I send are just like people's prints of their art. Um, Yeah, I agree. And and you and I have been to Venice Beach several times together. Yep. I mean, I think I've been to Venice Beach the most times with you probably. Yeah, I think that's true. I used to, when I first moved here, there was like a few places everyone wanted to visit. One was Hollywood Boulevard, which now I'm I'm very hard on like, go to Hollywood <laughs> Boulevard on your own. I don't yeah. need to 
watch you at Hollywood Boulevard. But Venice Beach is one where I'm like, oh, I'll definitely take you to Venice Beach. That's such a special place. So it was really awesome to just be immediately thrown into uh, like exactly what I expect from Francesca Leah Block. A little bit of supernatural, sexy, so California that it almost hurts. <laughs> yes. I love it. Did you have like a favorite character in this book or a favorite story maybe? I think one of my favorite characters was it Plum who would have sex with people and then they would like immediately find their true love afterwards. I think she was kind of my favorite because I just like really felt for her. And I was like, it's so nice that, like, you're using your gift to help other people find their soulmates. But, like, I wanted her to find her soulmate, which she does eventually, I think. She does, yeah. It's with the guy who was so in love with a woman who then became, like, a cat woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because she she got, like, taken in by, like, I don't know, some sort of company that turned her like said that she would be the most beautiful and then turned her into a cat and she like was the most beautiful but also still a cat yeah she was like kind of horrified by herself it was really sad yeah but then the guy like he was just so into her that he couldn't get hard with anyone else yeah and then plum walks in on him uh, like jacking off to a video of him fucking the woman. I think she is a cat woman in the video. And Plum has this moment where she's like, oh, either this is very off-putting <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to roll with it. And she picks roll with it. <laughs> and it's amazing for everyone involved. And they end up together because... Tom is like, you are the first person that I've been able to, like, actually get hard with since this Catwoman. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, it was beautiful because I really love the idea of just, like, I feel like there is a choice that you can make in those moments because there's, like, like there are things that... that uh, Anything that's kinky is sort of unconventional and is going to take like a moment to adjust to because you're just not used to it. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are for you, you might be ashamed of or embarrassed of, which you shouldn't be, as we've already discussed. Mm -hmm. But then there's also that moment of encountering someone else's desires. And maybe it's not your exact thing. Yeah. (laughs) But you have this moment of choice. Like, am I going to go with it or am I going to potentially just shame that person or make them feel more guilty about whatever it is and so I just love that Plum was like hell yeah like (laughs) let me be involved in whatever this kinky shit is I totally agree it turned into love (laughs) it's awesome I think that you know that's probably a that that's just a that's a map for life. You should just embrace what comes at you and see where it goes as long as you feel safe and comfortable. <laughs> yeah. I think so. For me one of the I think this was one of the more um 
like I feel like there was a through line throughout the stories and this one was a little more off the path of the stories but I really liked the story about the nurse and I think it's actually Plum's brother or someone another character's brother who has cancer or some sort of kind of long-term disease um and the nurse's uh, encounters this, or the sister who we know in the book, I think it's Plum. Um, the sister is like, like shows the nurse a picture of the brother before he got cancer and, and is like, see, he's such a hot guy. Um, (laughs) and then the nurse like sees the boy and she's like, he's still a hot guy, even like having gone through chemo and like you could just still really tell and then they have this like really sexy encounter in the hospital and then like she comes back three days later and she's like about to tell the guy that they can't do anything else after that and um he had already passed and it was like emotional but it was just like I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I just It was again like that healing, the healing power. It was the healing power of sex like made literal. Yeah. And not that he was healed because he did die, but but the point is that he was able to like have this last moment where he felt sexy and where he was able to give pleasure and And it was and... definitely like emotionally healing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you even, you don't even have to think that, you know it for sure, because I think they allude to the sister kind of talking about it in his, um, maybe eulogy or, or something like that, where this, he clearly told the sister that the nurse helped him through like these last moments. And, and it was really, it was really beautiful. I just totally agree. I feel like it was kind of just like the theme of the book distilled into a story. Like, I think that story said a lot about the other stories. Yeah. And just even if you isolated it, it was just nice that she didn't treat him like he was sick or anything, but just as like... A human, just a human being, like in the same need as every other human being, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think that was probably my favorite, though. I mean, that's not to impugn any of the stories because I think they were all tremendous. Um, I also want to say, sorry, if you don't mind me interjecting. um, Of course. That this was another book. I don't know if I'm just like in this emotional place or what, but every single story made me cry like on its own. I could only read one story at a time because I'd be like bawling by the end of every single one. And I loved it because I felt like I was like being healed in a way, (laughs) you know, like I just thought it was so beautiful. (laughs) I agree. Well, I did pick it was very challenging to pick which part of the book I wanted to read for this because Francesca Leo Block, I mean, her style is everything. If you read any review about her writing, it's just, it's always about, it just always comes back to the style, which is so Francesca Leo Block. And so that's really how I picked this part is that I felt like I just wanted to 
pick something that would embody Francesca Leah Black on the off chance that maybe we're introducing her to you for the first time. Um, so that like, if you're ready to be a Francesca Leah Block girl, if you're ready to be a Weetsie Bat girl, the way that I believe and hope that I am, I want to wear that badge as a badge of <laughs> honor. Um, then I feel like I just picked one that I think kind of embodies the way that she describes life and and what she describes as like kind of the ultimate so it's from the um, section called milagro from the time she is very young all plum wants is this to be loved for who she is with complete and awesome devotion she tries to dress herself the way she feels inside so that the love of her life will recognize her easily which means that in elementary school, she wears as many barrettes as she can fit in her long black hair and shortens her skirts daily, letting them down again before her mother sees. In junior high, she staples rhinestone studs to her clothes. In high school, she chops off all her hair to her mother's horror and spikes it with gel. She designs clothes covered with zippers and chains and does her eyelids like various flowers and insects, orchids and dragonflies. This is when she meets Santiago. He recognizes her by her radical hair and the clothes she has designed and made, her soft voice and delicate hands and the way she comforts him when he calls her to tell her about how his father tried to beat him again. Santiago wears makeup and jewelry. He is so beautiful that no one except his father gives him shit. Everyone is infatuated with him whether they know it or not. The popular girls, the shy girls, the jocks, the gay boys, Plum is the one who gets him. He is all she wants. She gives him haircuts and does his eyeshadow. He looks like a supermodel. They take ballroom dance lessons and go to punk gigs and do the tango in the pit. They are so charismatic together that instead of being shunned because of how eccentric they are, they are elected cutest couple in the yearbook. Plum realizes that this means everyone thinks they're sleeping together and that maybe this is another reason why Santiago doesn't suffer, except for from his father from his appearance. She also wishes that it were true, the sleeping together. They have never even kissed, although they hold hands, and when they are dancing, pressed up against each other, heart slamming, it is like what she imagines it would be like to make love. They go to prom together wearing matching black zippered satin and leopard print and boots and sporting matching bleach blonde hairdos that contrast with their dark features. They do their punk tango and sit at the table with all the class bests. They feel like rock stars. Plum realizes that she is in love with Santiago when he feeds her dessert with a spoon and tells her that he is not going back east to school the way he had planned because she is so beautiful. After the prom, they get into Santiago's old Cadillac and drive to the desert. On the drive, they listen to their favorite B-52s tapes really loud, open the windows so the warm wind lashes in their face, and scream into the night like banshees. Plum feeds Santiago grapes and chocolates as they speed down the highway. In desert hot springs, there are natural springs running under the desert floor. The motels were built around them over the years. There are little mom and pop places decorated in blonde wood where Swedish moms and pops give deep tissue massages, pink and turquoise 50 style places, fake Roman setups with bad replicas of David and Venus around the pool, and broken brown de deserted bungalows that seem haunted by lost desert ghosts when the sand blows through. 
Then there is Villa Milagro. The pale blue bungalows surround a mosaic tiled pool and a glassed-in jacuzzi. There are large chunks of crystal and candles and garden shrines and silk flowers in the garden. When Plum and Santiago get there in the still, hot, coral-colored desert dawn, Milagro wears beads and a long caftan decorated with birds checks them in. Plum can't tell if Milagro is male or female. Milagro says, what a beautiful couple you are. Plum and Santiago are shown to their bungalow decorated in chia pets, clown paintings, beaded curtains, glass baubles, fabric printed with ferns and daisies, strands of fake roses, and throw rugs covered in sunflower designs. It is fresh and smells like clean desert air. They collapse on the butterfly-adorned comforters and fall asleep almost right away. They sleep straight through until the next evening. When she gets up, Plum goes to find Milagro. Milagro is sitting by the pool wearing a caftan covered with ladybugs. Plum asks where they can get some food, and Milagro takes Plum into Milagro's bungalow, which is a fire with glass objects refracting the light. Milagro prepares avocado sandwiches and fresh figs. Milagro stares at Plum silently until Plum winces. You have a gift, Milagro says. I'll stop there. That is a great excerpt because it really like shows you her talent for just explaining the the environment so perfectly. Yeah, and it is it's not like she uses language in a way that is challenging to understand. She's just pointing out things that you might not find beautiful and challenging you to find them beautiful. And I feel like it's just easy to accept that challenge. You're like, oh yeah, a caftan covered in ladybugs draping upon a person whose sex and gender you can't identify. It's fucking beautiful. (laughs) I completely agree. It's just like... Yeah, she she describes things so beautifully, but she still uses like it's down I it's down to just her word choice, like the mosaic tiled pool and like you know, like that's not a complicated phrase, but it gives you so much more in your mind than just the pool, you know? I don't know. She's yeah. just amazing. <laughs> or a little girl just covering her hair in barrettes because she's like, the person who loves me will find me based on oh, and how also, I adorn myself. This is that I highlighted the exact same part of that story. You did? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, honestly, though, I, I prefaced it this way, but. I it was very challenging. Like you could pick any excerpt from a Francesca Leah book. I have so many highlights, and I have so many highlights of just like incredibly sexy parts that I won't read because people should just read them on their own. But there are just parts that I wanted to revisit because I was like, that was just hot as shit. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god, it was just so exciting to read Francesca Leah Block actually trying to like specifically give us the erotic details which she usually doesn't usually she kind of omits them and you have to fill it in and and so it was really exciting to see it really be explicit that was 
especially in this time in my life where I just learned or like where I'm really into <laughs> romance novels, I was like, Francesca, I feel like you just see into my soul. <laughs> I completely agree. <sighs> it's wonderful. And I just feel like at this point in my life, it honestly feels like now when I read a book that's not a romance novel and they just cut away from the sex, it honestly feels like so disingenuous to me. Because I'm yeah. like, we're all adults here and like sex is a huge part of life. And like, yeah. I mean, that's no shade to anybody, but it does make me think about it more often. And, like, and also it's... Like, why is sex considered this like lower form of you know what I mean like it's not going to be in yeah. like a book with that's like high literature it's weird yeah especially because like the way your relationship is before the first time you have sex with someone versus after the first time you have sex with someone really hinges on what that sexual experience was and so to ad- omit that is the same as like it just feels like the one of the most essential like every minute of a sexual experience defines what that relationship is going to be going forward and to omit that or to always assume that that if you cut away from the start of a sexual experience that like you can assume that the end of it was good is or like extremely disingenuous like that everybody has the same good sexual experiences, you know? Yeah. That there's like one way to do it right. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like there are some movies where they cut away from it and it does feel right. But I feel like just so often it's really assumed. Like I'm thinking of When Harry Met Sally where they first... Have you seen that movie? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when they have sex, they like cut away and you can see um, uh, Billy Crystal's face and then you see Meg Ryan's face and they've clearly had a different interaction. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is very common <laughs> and, and, and that it should, that it is, if you're having a story that's about relationships, that cutting away from the sexual experience is actively taking out a big chunk of what that relationship is yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah well um I feel like there are so many great stories in this book um and we've touched on a few of them I don't know are there any other like characters that you want to highlight or actually I do want to highlight one which is It was the last um, story in the book um, between Carmelita and Tony. And Carmelita um, just is kind of insecure. Like she has a lot of sisters who are really beautiful. Um, And and the book makes it clear that she is also really beautiful, which I would argue like all women are really beautiful. Um, And maybe all people are really beautiful, but I'm going to stick with women for now. And uh, so she she has these sisters that she's jealous of and, and she's with her boyfriend um, who is really attracted to her and, and loves her so much. But whenever she's with him, she can't really enjoy it because she's thinking about all of the beautiful women she's seen throughout her life 
who Tony would like more. Mm-hmm. Like she just thinks that there's other women that he would he would prefer to her. And so it would happen even when like she he wasn't even around when she found when she identifies another woman who is so beautiful. And um, in this book, they do make it clear that she herself isn't specifically attracted to women, which I think would be a question if they didn't call that out specifically. But um, it just ends. It ends nicely because she decides to incorporate those fantasies into her sex life. Like she decides to, instead of having these feelings inside that prevent her from from feeling pleasure when they're when they're encountering each other because she's so wrapped up with how much he would prefer fucking other people uh without him even indicating that but in the end she like sees like a famous model or something and and she thinks about how much he'll want this her boyfriend will want this famous person but she uses that to enjoy sex with him and um she like makes a journal right where she she like writes down all of her fantasies yeah of him with other women and it like makes her super horny (laughs) and she Mm -hmm. like loves it yeah i just i that really resonated with me because i have heard a lot about women feeling like bad because they're thinking about someone else when they're having sex or um or worrying about this exact thing and and for me I had never even thought to feel shame about that like I think about my husband having sex with other people all the time and it does make me really horny and (laughs) I just I I want to like emphasize that 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 there is for me a huge chasm I mean this is kind of going into a different place but I feel like like marriage is a choice it's a choice to be with the same person for life and it's not a choice everyone needs to make like not everybody wants to have that exact relationship of being together for decades and going through the ups and downs of life in a partnership and I don't think that there's any problem with that I think that the only problem is assuming you the only choice is marriage and then realize and then recognizing that that's not actually right for you and and whatever pain that causes for for another person like like that all is troubling but by itself I think marriage is just a lifestyle choice or being monogamous in general is a lifestyle choice Mm -hmm. but I feel like there's there's an importance to recognizing that like despite being committed to one person and choosing monogamy that there is there's a, a lot of, of wiggle room there. You can be completely yeah. committed to the other person and still be attracted to other people. And I think it's even awesomer if you can share that attraction with your partner. Yeah. I thank you. That's exactly what I mean. Exactly. That that there's a there's space to be honest about it. And I think that like the chasm between the person that you want to love and trust and be devoted to and raise your potential children with, if that's coming up or, or 
share finances with or just lean on in general is like a way higher bar than the person that you just want to have sex with. And I just wish that people didn't feel the shame that I think they sometimes do. Like, like, oh man, I'm really sexually attracted to this other person, but I love my wife. I firmly believe that those two things can coexist yeah really easily (laughs) I completely agree I mean just on like the most basic level like my husband and I talk about other people that we're attracted to like constantly yeah and I mean that like just so I don't know like we do a lot of things that are just like role play type stuff and that just all feeds into that and that makes me think of like the end of the story isn't I think she's like giving him a hand job and she's like talking about this other woman that like she wishes she could see him with and it's like getting both of them off and like that's the dopest thing ever I think that when there's no when you have that level of comfort together and you don't have to be jealous and you can just appreciate it, and maybe you can get turned on by that other person, too. Like, it's just fun, man. (laughs) I totally agree, and I just want to, like, I want to, if not eliminate, at least really lessen that shame, because I don't think there's any shame, and you haven't done anything wrong, and, like, of course, if you get to the point of, like, wanting to take action on these desires, then you're going to want to talk to your partner about that because that certainly would be a challenging thing to overcome if you don't talk to your partner about it in advance. Again, it's like one of those things where you both need to be in on what's happening. You both need to be cool with it. Yeah. You don't want to like do anything behind someone's back. Yeah, exactly. But I, I feel like they're... There's just a lot of honesty that comes with saying, like, yeah, I'm attracted to this other person. It's it's pretty hard to believe that... You're not like, attracted to anyone else ever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that doesn't have to mean that you love someone else. It, 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 in fact, it, it it's not even a little bit mutually exclusive. Like, the bar of who I would spend the rest of my life with is extremely high. <laughs> the bar of who I would want to have sex with in a given moment quite low actually (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah I just really liked that that story was incorporated that like there's a story I mean we talked about her as a mermaid and I think she was a mermaid but also you could just see her as a woman who's in a wheelchair which is awesome Mm -hmm. by itself so I think there was a lot of good um diversity Uh, that we got to explore in this book. Well, and I feel like one of the biggest things that I took away from this book was, like, that sex is, and it doesn't always have to be, but it just is, like, a human connection. It's just a connection between people, and that can take so many different forms. And it can be, like, it can be really close and emotional, and like that bonds you forever or it's not it can just be a fleeting moment that was beautiful and like there's nothing wrong with any of those scenarios exactly yeah well i really really hope that francesca leah block writes more uh like romance erotic type novels i mean regardless if she writes her um 
the novels that I'm used to, then I will continue to consume those. But I would love to be able to like cover more Francesca Leah Block because she was so formative to both of us. And like, would we have this podcast if we hadn't been both so into Francesca Leah Block in middle school? I don't know if we would be like as close of friends without Francesca Leah Block. I honestly think that that's true. It just feels like it's inextricable from my personality. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I mean, really, yeah. it's it's like affected the trajectory of my life. Especially you, since you are a writer, but like both of us, because we both live in Los Angeles. Yeah, and like we literally fantasized about living here for like years when we were in high school and stuff. And like we talked about it all in terms of Francesca Lea Block. And don't you sort of feel like your life right now is a little bit Francesca Lea Block? I do. I strive to make it more FLB every day. <laughs> I agree. Everything that I everything that I decorate is kind of Francesca Lea Block inspired. Mm-hmm. And the women that I gravitate towards, I think of as Francesca Leah Block characters. Yeah, it's just impossible to overstate how huge of an influence she's had on like my entire personality. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, I will mention she did write one book called Beyond the Pale Motel that is a sexy book, but it's also kind of a scary book. Ooh. Um, and it's it's pretty sad like it's not a happy ending book but if you're just like curious in another erotic Francesca Leah Block book that one is like a fully adult book nice I mean I am interested but I will have to like mitigate if it's not super happy because these it's are tough really times. not it's not it's definitely not an upper but it was yeah, good neither I is it. the wasteland no or wasteland <laughs> No, that's why that's the other reason why we couldn't cover it in this podcast, because like I I, I don't want to commit to completely never having a sad ending, but I'm going to try not to because it's really. Yeah, it's been an integral to my my positive mood boosts. You know, I mean, it's been a positive mood boost for me. So, yeah, I really don't need any negative vibes right now. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything else that we want to talk about um, with Nymph or Francesca? I don't think I have anything else. I could just like go through this book and read all of the amazing sexy parts that I highlighted, but I won't. (laughs) I should just go read it for sure. I agree. It would take almost no incentive for me at all to just read the entire book out loud to someone, (laughs) but no one has given me even any incentive. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I do, I do just love to hear it. Did you listen to this as an audiobook or did you? No, I read it on Kindle. Yeah, I read it too. Though I feel like it would have been a really good one for audiobook actually. No, I've never heard, I've never listened to a Francesca Leah Block audiobook before, but now that I'm thinking about it, it feels like just like, like the thing you would listen to in the bath or something, just like letting her descriptions wash over you. I think it would be really great. Like I listened to, um, 
Searcy. Do you remember mm-hmm. that book? Oh, I'm... of course, Madeline Miller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she oh. has such a beautiful way of writing, and the 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 person who narrated it was really good. And I don't know who narrates these books on audiobook, but assuming the narrator is good, it's the kind of book that you could, yeah, just like let wash over you, and I think it would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I would like to be hired as the narrator for her books. For sure. She should call you. (laughs) I mean, I'll work on, I'll try to get up to snuff because that's a high (laughs) bar for me. Well, all right. Well, I will, I want to just emphasize that we are loving all of the communication that our listeners are um, writing into us both on social media and in our email. So you can find all of the ways to contact us in our our liner notes, but um, please reach out to us about Francesca Lea Block or any recommendations you have or your feelings about incest. (laughs) We'd love to know. (laughs) I honestly want to know any sexy detail about anyone, I feel. That's... Uh, I mean, that's the I hope point, that's not too honestly. broad. No, yeah. like the whole point of this is like to get, for me, it's just like to get book recommendations and to hear intimate details about friends and strangers. <laughs> uh, completely agree. Completely agree. And if we can play a part in people not being ashamed of what they're into because mm-hmm. we just all, that's, yeah, I just want you to get off. Yeah, that's a running theme. Exactly. Enjoy yourself. (laughs) And your body. All right. Well, then folks, go forth and masturbate.